I'm glad to be here with you today and worshiping in God's house. And uh, I bring you greetings from the conference office. Thank you for treating your pastor well and letting him have a vacation. Well, maybe you didn't let him have one, but he took one. And uh, I know that he'll be better for it when he gets back, so continue to pray for him. I don't usually have a church that worries about the preacher not having enough time to preach because they're taking too much time talking about soul winning and outreach. I say, Amen. If the preacher needs to shorten the sermon so you can talk more about outreach, that's fine by me. I said, the preacher. I don't know who that would be, but um, I will try to shorten it a little bit. But I'm glad to hear you're active at doing God's work. We've got to finish the work. If we're going to go home, we've got to finish the work. And it's we, not me, and not just you. It's us together, right? God's working to, uh, to finish His work. Well, I hope that the message I have to share with you today will encourage you. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads as we pray. Father in heaven, as we turn our attention to Your Word, we once again want to ask that Your Holy Spirit will guide our thought, thinking process, our desire to know You better, May the Holy Spirit speak to us in these words, I pray, and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Joseph Dutton, the captain of the SS Sardinian, tells a story that took place on his ship in 1877. It was August of that year, and... It's a story that's fairly well known. You may have heard it told here, but I think it reminds us both the power of God and the faith that God wants us to have in Him. Captain Dutton tells us that there was a man on board his ship that was fairly well known in the Christian world, especially the Western world at that time. His name was George Mueller. And I'll show you a picture of him, not that you'll particularly be able to see it, but I'm still going to show you anyway. And give you those in the front rows might be able to see it a little bit, but this, I want you to know, he's a real man. And this was about 1877. He was about 77 years old at the time. And George Mueller was known in the Christian world as a man of prayer. You go and Google his name, you can even find free books about his life story, and and I would encourage you that you'd benefit from doing that by all means. What George Mueller, the captain says, was on board his ship, and this is what took place while he was there on that ship. The captain's way of telling the story just is significant, and I want you to hear it in his words. He says, I'd been on the bridge for 24 hours and never left it. And George Mueller came to me and said, Captain, I've come to you to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. 
It is impossible, I said. Then very well. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. You understand they were going from Bristol, England, to Quebec, Canada, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. In 1877, there were no cell phones, there were no radios, there were no helicopters or seaplanes. He said, Captain, um, God will find some other way. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. And the captain continues and he says, I looked at that man of God and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? For I've never heard of such a thing. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense the fog is? No, he replied, my eye is not on the density of the fog but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. They went into the chart room, the captain says. He knelt down and he prayed one of the most solemn prayers. No, simple is the word he used. When he finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and he told me not to pray. And he said, the reason is, as you do not believe, he will answer. And I believe he already has. So there's no need for you to pray about it. I looked at him and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been a single day when I failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and, when the, and open the door and you will find the fog is gone. I got up and opened the door, and the fog was gone. And George Mueller kept his promised engagement. In the little book, Steps to Christ, wonderful little book that I know your church is focusing a little bit on, on page 63, the author has some words that remind us of the faith of this man, George Mueller. The author says, when we speak of faith, there is a distinction that should be born in mind. There is a kind of belief that is wholly distinct from faith. And then the author quotes from the Bible and says, the Bible says that the devils also believe and tremble. But the author says, this is not faith. Where there is not only a belief in God's word, but a submission of the will to him, where the heart is yielded to him, the affections fixed upon him, there is faith. Faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Through this faith, The heart is renewed in the image of God from the little chapter, The Test of Discipleship. 
faith is more than just simply believing in something. The devils do that. They know God exists. They don't have any problem. They believe in God, but it will not change them, and it will not save them. Faith is a wonderful gift from God, and it is a gift from God. You you can't earn it. You can't make it. It is a gift from God. It comes from being a disciple of God a disciple of Jesus. Faith that really makes a difference in our lives is the kind of faith that doesn't just think about what it can get and doesn't treat God like a a vending machine. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, would you do this for me? God, would you solve that problem? Sometimes that's how we treat God. But the faith that George Mueller had, that that was expressed in his action of praying and saying, Captain, go outside and you'll see the fog is gone, was born not out of an experience of treating God as a vending machine. It was from an experience of walking with God every day. As he put it, I get an audience with the king every day, Captain. And when I meet with the king, he talks to me. He changes my life. He makes a difference in my life. And from him, I discern his will. I find out what he has in mind for me. And through this ongoing daily devotional experience, and I'm not talking about five-minute prayers. I'm talking about a prayer experience with the king of the universe. From that experience over 57 years, he knew that God wanted him to be in Quebec that Saturday afternoon. So he said, Captain, it really doesn't matter whether your ship is going to take me or not. God wants me there. He sent me on this journey. You can't solve the problem. He can. That's the kind of faith that comes from a deep and serious relationship with Jesus. And I know it's the one you covet. It's the one I covet. It's the one that I'm searching with God every day for. I know that you want to search for that too. And many of you are. That faith is the faith of a disciple. A faith like the disciples walking with Jesus every day on this earth. And then when he left, they continued to walk with him. You know, I like the story of George Mueller, but that's not really the focus of our sermon this morning. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua has a wonderful story, and the Bible's filled with amazing stories of God working and changing lives. And I want to look at one of those stories in Joshua chapter 14 because it, it, it tells us of another man of faith who also learned to trust God and trust in His promises. As we look at Joshua 14, we look at verse 6 to start with, gives us a little bit of the background to our Scripture reading that was read for today. In Joshua 14, verse 6, it says that the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. Joshua was the commander-in-chief, if you please, of the children of Israel. 
Moses had died on the other side of the Jordan River, had not come into the promised land. Moses, I mean, Aaron died before him. And Joshua took over, and they had come into the promised land. And at this particular point, there's someone who comes to him, verse 6, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old, he says, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb and Joshua were two of 12 spies sent into the promised land. Caleb is not telling Joshua anything he doesn't know. Joshua was there. He and Caleb and the other spies went into the promised land to to see what was out there. God had already told them that they were going into the promised land. They were on the borders of the promised land. And God had shown again and again and again that he was with them. And he's told them he's going to take them into the promised land, and, and this was going to be their land. So into the promised land go 12 spies. They see this one particular town or city, walled city, and there they find things that just shake them up a bit. You know, when you're fighting hand-to-hand combat with a sword and a spear or whatever you happen to have, in some cases slingshots and those kinds of things, And you know that strength is vital in that combat. And you are a mere six feet tall. And you look and see these people that are 10 feet, 11 feet. I don't know how tall those giants were. But you see not just one of them, but a whole bunch of them. And you see these walled cities and you see all these kinds of things. You know, sometimes when you start looking at yourself your heart begins to beat a whole lot faster. And your faith, if it's looking at yourself, it's not faith, but what you think is faith begins to diminish really quickly. And that's what happened to the spies, except for Caleb and Joshua. They went back and they spread this this, uh, terrible story about how they weren't going to be able to take the city, and all the people believed them, all except Caleb and Joshua. So God said, you don't have faith in me. You are faithless people. Back into the wilderness, they went for 40 years. 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Where are we now? In verse 9, here's what Caleb says, continuing on to speak to Joshua. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord God. I hope you noticed that phrase comes back again. Caleb says to to Joshua, he says, I wholly followed the Lord. Now, He also, and Joshua, wholly followed the Lord. But holy means to completely, to to with every part of me, I followed the Lord. I was totally committed and surrendered to the Lord. And Moses says to him, because you were fully surrendered to the Lord, he says, the place where you have walked is going to be your inheritance. 
This is on the other side of the Jordan River. After everybody has given up, Caleb continues in verse 10, Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. Now, if you're somewhere near 85 years old, anywhere near 85 years old, chances are you can relate to Caleb here and say, I'm not sure about this. But he says in verse 11, As yet I'm as strong this day as on that day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. I'm 61. I'm not 85. My strength is not what it was when I was 40. But God had made a promise to Caleb. He said, you are going to have that land you walked on. And that was all Caleb needed. He didn't care that he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It didn't bother him one bit. Well, okay, he would rather not have been there. But he wasn't worried that God wasn't going to be able to fulfill his promise. That's what didn't bother him one bit. He had a promise. God had told him. He knew he would be there, and he would be able to claim that. Into the promised land they went. They crossed the Jordan River that was flooded, and God parted the water. They went to the city of, of Jericho, and, and there they uh, uh, watched God bring the walls tumbling down. They went on to Ai, and instead of having faith in God, they had faith in themselves. And Instead of God giving them Ai, they found out there was sin in the camp and that they, one of the sins, not just Achan's, but one of the sins was their own faithlessness and trust in themselves. That's presumption. God got their attention, and for the next five years, they continue to conquer the promised land, and it becomes theirs. Caleb does not give up on his promise. Lord, can you speed this up a little bit? No. He said, God, God promised me I'm going to get that place. And when God's ready, he'll take me there. If I'm 100 years old, if I'm 200 years old, it's up to God. God said, I get to go to the promised land. That's faith. The faith that he had, though, was not the vending machine faith. The faith he had was the faith that you get every day from spending time with God, searching the Word of God, listening to His voice speaking to you in the Word, praying, spending time praying with Him, listening to God speaking to you, speaking to Him, you and Him developing a relationship together where He is able to encourage you and direct you in your life. Holy, said Caleb, Holy surrendered to God. Holy committed to God. So when he went there the first time to these places where the giants were, that was not a problem because he was wholly surrendered to God. Here they are, across the promised the, the, the river, in the promised land, five years, time gone by. Caleb comes to Joshua one day. And he says to Caleb, in, I mean, to Joshua in verse 12, this is what he says. 
Now, therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Caleb comes to Joshua, and he doesn't tell him what to do. Caleb is the commander-in-chief. Caleb is the leader of God's people. He comes to him showing respect. God has already told him that this place is his. He doesn't come asking for money. He doesn't come asking for soldiers and weapons. He doesn't come asking for anything except permission because God's already given it to him. He shows respect for the leader, and he says, give me this mountain. The interesting thing is not only does he not ask for things, but he recognizes and, and explains to us what the condition is. Here we are, 45 years later, and nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, if anything has changed, if you were in this city, by the way, the name of the city was Hebron, came to be known later, but it was Anak, where the, the cities of the Anakim were in that, at that time. In that city are these giants and those people. And you knew that these people out there, the Hebrews, the Israelites, were going to be coming your direction. And you had 45 years to prepare. Is it going to be weaker or stronger, the fortifications where you're at? Now, okay, maybe they decided that 45 years ago they had the, the Israelites had given up. But they saw what happened when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, and they knew about Jericho falling down, and they'd had five years to get ready for this day. And Caleb says, that's the way it is now, and perhaps God will give me this city. It's stronger than it was 45 years ago. The people are more determined than they were 45 years ago. But God's people now have faith in God, built on a relationship of trust with Him. Joshua, it says in verse 13, blessed him and gave him Hebron, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. This city of Hebron is set in kind of a hill. I'm not going to try to give you a picture because you're all too far away and you won't be able to see it. But you go and Google Hebron, you'll, you'll get a chance to be able to see it. The mountain is kind of around the, where the city is and, and, the, and the, the, in this kind of a valley, mountain with a valley in it, is where Hebron is. Walled city and all well fortified it must have been. Today, there is a big mosque there, and in this mosque is something significant. See, the city of Hebron was valuable to the children of Israel for a very special reason. The cave of Machpelah was there. That mosque that's there today is the place where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, or Jacob, Isaac and Jacob are supposed to be buried. It was a very special place to them then. 
Abraham was already buried there. And they wanted that place again. And God had promised it to them. And Caleb had the faith to take it. Joshua blessed him, and then it says in verse 14, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. You know, when the Bible repeats something again and again, it's worth noticing. It's something like being a student in school, and the teacher is telling you, now you're going to have a test tomorrow, And I'm going to review things for you today, the things that you're likely to find on that test. And when the teacher says something once, you know, you might take notes and say, okay, well, maybe that is, maybe it won't be on the test, I don't know. The teacher repeats it again and, ooh, maybe maybe the teacher's trying to tell me something. The teacher repeats it a third time, at least if I'm the teacher, you better be ready, it's going to be on the test. You know what? It's going to be on the test. There's a test coming to God's people, the people of this world, because Jesus is coming again soon. Amen? He's almost here. I heard somebody a couple weeks ago, you know, we talked about watching for the storm clouds on the horizon. This man was talking about the things that are going on in the world today. He said, they're over our heads now. Jesus is coming again. He's coming soon. That test is coming. What is it that's going to prepare us for that time? It's the faith that Caleb had. It's the faith that Jesus had. It's the faith that Peter and Paul had. It's the faith that God wants us to have. It's the test of discipleship. If I'm a disciple of His... I'm surrendered to Him every day. I'm following Him every day. I'm relying on Him every day. I spent time with Him every day. Caleb was that kind of a man that God wants us to be, men and women of faith. His vision and perspective caused him to look past all the obstacles and the challenges that were in front of him and move right past them. His dedication caused him to stand for and believe in the promises of God. Even though time went by, he trusted God would be able to fulfill his promises. He was not a man of conformity to the world. He had a holy relationship, both H-holy and W-H-holy relationship with Jesus. He wasn't going to conform with the world. He was going to trust God wherever he led him. His passion caused him to have that trust in God wholeheartedly. His talk was a different kind of a talk, for he spoke of life and not of death. He spoke of victory and not of defeat. He wasn't worried about the giants. I don't know what the giants are in your life. During the prayer request time at... uh, At Fremont, one of the ladies, the pianist there, said, I'm going to be having knee replacement surgery on Monday. Well, I don't know about you, but if I was having knee replacement surgery, that'd be a giant to me. God understands whatever our physical needs are, whatever our emotional needs are, whatever income needs we have, we don't have a job or a house or whatever. God knows those things. 
Those giants are in God's hands. He's promised to overcome them. Maybe the giant in your life is getting control of your schedule so that you can invest invest time with God. Maybe the giant in your life is being willing to trust Him that if He really wanted you to knock on somebody's door and share a glow track with them or something, that you'd actually be able to do that. God needs all of us to overcome those giants that are out there in front of us. And it's the faith that God gives us that will make that possible. That's the test of discipleship. The, The test isn't how good we are, and it's not even how strong our faith is. The test of discipleship is, are we trusting God to give us that faith? So my question for you today is, are you willing to be a Caleb? Do you want to be a Caleb? How many of you want to be a Caleb? You want to be a Caleb. If you want to be a Caleb, the God who gave Hebron to Caleb is going to give you the mountain that he's promised for you. He never fails to answer and to fulfill his promises. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.